0: right we're back we are back appreciate you all faithfulness and coming to Bible study it's always a blessing the word of the Lord the preaching of the word is one of the means that God uses to to grow us and to change us and conform us to the image of Christ and we thank the Lord for these uh, Bible studies that we've been having since we started. Uh, I sent that message out yesterday in a group chat. Yesterday, September 5th, 2010, we had our very first church service over there on 701 Wilmer Avenue, the corner of 7th and Wilmer, across from Oconee. At that time, Oconee wasn't there. Oconee was over here on this side, I think down south. Uh, they weren't even over there yet. But, uh. You know. September fifth, two thousand ten, that's when we planted our church and thirteen years later we're here. And we've been doing Bible study since uh since day one. Hold on a second here. Yep, since uh our very first service. So if that was a Sunday the 5th then September 8th was our first Bible study we 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 started from from the first Wednesday having a Bible study and we haven't you know we've taken a few wins off here and there but for the most while we've been doing Bible study I think the very first Bible study I did was through the book of Acts We went through all I think 26 chapters the 26 28 chapters of the book of Acts we went all the way through the book of Acts uh, that was our very first Bible study spent about a year in the book of Acts and went from there so we thank the Lord for his faithfulness to us and him using this ministry to help bring souls to the kingdom and also to help uh, the believers to grow to encourage the saints and we just thank the Lord for uh, this ministry that he has given us It's, It's his ministry It's his church we're faithful stewards of God's ministry but this is uh, the Lord's Church like Paul said and uh, as we reading this past Sunday uh, we are the church we're part of the Church of the Living God a pillar and buttress of truth and we will continue and endeavor to do that and part of that is studying the word together preaching uh, through the word on Sunday mornings and gathering on Wednesday evenings to study the Bible one thing that uh, I lament is a great majority of churches have gotten away from Bible study for whatever reason. It's not a it's not a law. It's not a sin to not have Bible study, but a lot of churches have gotten away from Wednesday night Bible study. I, I always think Bible study. Now some churches have replaced that with small groups and different things like that, and that's okay. I always say our church is a small group, <laughs> but uh, other than that, a lot of churches meet Sunday morning and then. They don't do anything else during the week. The members don't meet anywhere during the week. They just have one service, and I think that that does the body of Christ uh, a disservice. Um, if you're not meeting in small groups, I think there should be some type of continuous study of, of the word or, or studying through a good book because we've done books before and everything, too. But I just think that's a a, a way to kind of regulate our work week, you know, Wednesday's kind of midweek. You know, like a refreshing, and I think that's very helpful for people. Now, of course, everyone has different work schedules and not able to make it, and that's understood. That's why we are now doing Facebook Live. We hope that people join us on Facebook that can't make it here to uh, church. But of course, Facebook is not a substitute. Uh, If a person can make it, I'd rather them be here in person. Uh, But if a person can't make it in person, then we have the means of. Facebook which we haven't even been doing that long we've only been doing it for a few months, but I thank God for making this way for us to be able to even even uh, have people to watch us through Facebook. So we thank the Lord for that. So I just want to mention those things just thanking the Lord for 13 years and and giving us a desire giving me a desire to get up and teach. <laughs> uh, there are times when I'm tired and don't feel like doing it, but I always pray and ask the Lord to give me strength uh, to be able to continue this endeavor and teaching. His word, and the Lord is faithful to do that. So that being said, we're we'll continuing through the book of Joshua tonight. We're in chapter eleven, and this is where northern Canaan is going to be uh, conquest Last week we looked at southern Canaan, and I think next week I'm going to have a map or some maps up on the screen. Um. To look at how the promised land looked in in those days kind of a a little map i think i'll have that ready for us uh next week but in the meantime they're going to conquest the northern part of the promised land so uh, lord bless us in your word tonight encourage us strengthen us as believers strengthen our faith lord by the teaching of your word Lord, fill me with your spirit to teach well. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate your truth to us. That we not just have an intellectual exercise in knowing and learning things. Lord, also that this may be a means of growth. That this may be a means of encouragement. That this may be a means of showing us how we are to live as believers. Lord, just help us tonight and just be with us tonight. And Lord, just refresh us in this midweek Bible study. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So, we're going to look at, of course, as always, we're going to look at these chapters, this chapter, in bite-sized pieces, looking at a few verses at a time. So, I'm going to look at the first five verses first. And in the opening verses of this chapter, the northern kings of Canaan gathered together against Israel. Because in chapter 10, it was the southern kings. If you recall looking back at the beginning of uh, chapter 10 just to remind us at the first few verses um, it says here verse 3 Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem Hoham king of Hebron Piram king of Jarmuth; Japhia, king of Lachish and Debir King of Eglin, those five kings came up against Israel. They were from the south. So now in chapter 11, we see kings from the north. So it says here, beginning at verse 1, verses 1 through 5, we're going to treat those first. It says, And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things. What things did he hear? That there was a conquest that Joshua struck down. If you look back at verses 41, 42 of chapter 10. And Joshua struck uh, them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. So the fame of the Lord had spread. News had gotten around because first news had gotten around to the southern kings because they heard about how Israel defeated Jericho and how they defeated AI, and that's when the southern kings came to defeat them, and the Gibeonites did too. And then, so now these northern kings they hear about these exploits that were chronicled, and we don't know how much time passed between chapters ten and eleven. Remember, Old Testament narratives don't don't tell everything in real time, but we know that a period of time did pass between the end of. Uh, chapter 10 and the beginning of verse 11. Enough time to where news had spread around that Israel had conquered those southern uh, cities. So, again, it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazar, heard these things that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Aksaph, and to the kings who were from the north in the mountains, in the plain south of Shinaroth, in the low land and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivites below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them. So this is a lot of people. Yet those northern kings, they had all these cities, all these nations, so they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. So, man. That's a very vast army. When the scripture is saying, you know, as various as the sands of the, uh, you know, basically as numerous as the sands in the seashore, that's basically saying it was a lot of them. There was a lot of soldiers along with their horses and chariots. This, when I read this, this reminded me of our responsive reading from this past Sunday. Psalm 20 where the psalm said some trust in horses and some in chariots. That's the first thing that came to my mind was Psalm 20. And the, the 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 nations, God did not want Israel to trust in horses and chariots. That's what Egypt did. Egypt the Egyptians came and gave chase to Israel when they were going through the crossing the Red Sea. They came in horses and chariots. And what did God do? He swallowed them up. So God does not. um, Here it is. Psalm 20 and 7. Some trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall. But we rise and stand upright. So that's what God does to his enemies. The enemies trust in what? The horses and chairs. The enemies trust in what? Numbers. But we trust in who? The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. So looking at this here. These kings gathered together. They came together to defeat Israel. There was a huge army that was assembled together. And why was this? Because they firmly believe that they must stop israel now or never you're like hey now's the time let's 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 do this we have to stop them they they conquered all these other cities in the south we have to do something so let's get all these armies together uh, you know a, a multitude like the sand of the sea you're like we got to do something we got to we got to do it And this was all prompted because they heard Israel's success and victory. They heard about their success. So they figured, okay, let's get a lot more people together. That's what they figured. And that is how um, our spiritual enemies think. They think that if they come in great numbers, they think if they... All loud and boisterous and and all those things that they can't defeat the people of God, but guess what they can not, no matter how numerous our enemies are. if God is with us, what does the Bible say? If God be for us, who can be against us? No one, no matter how numerous our enemies may seem, no matter how powerful they they see, all these soldiers, all these horses, all these chariots coming up against Israel. They went out, all their armies with them. Now, Israel faced a challenge they never faced before. They never faced the army this big yet. Remember, they didn't face the army of Jericho. They just marched around the city uh, one time a day for six days, and then seven times on the last day, and they shouted and blew their horns, and the walls fell down. Ai... They defeated them, but they were a very small uh, army. They lost against them the first time because of ache and sin. But it wasn't as big of a battle as this one. This army, again, was as many people as the sand of the seashore. And they had very many horses and chariots. Israel had never faced a foe like this before. And you know, it seemed like with each step the challenges got tougher. Jericho, They just had to shout and blow their horns. AI, they went to battle. And now the battle is even more intense. It's like a a succession. So this battle was different. And as a Christian, we can find that the challenges facing us in our walk can increase with each step of our Christian walk. But what God does is, God is so faithful. He perseveres us as we walk through this Christian life because it doesn't get easier. It gets more challenging. The longer we walk with God, the more challenging it becomes. It doesn't get easy, we, we, And we shouldn't tell people that it gets easier as you grow in the Lord. It doesn't. Because number one, you have, as you grow and mature in your faith, you're going to see how much of a sinner you are. You're going to see your sins. You're going to s- learn more about Christ. You're going to learn more about sin that's in you and contend with that and and fight against that and struggle against that because you become more. I wasn't as aware of myself as a sinner when I was a young Christian because I thought I was invincible. <laughs> but the older I get, I realize, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I, need, I need help. Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Lord, I hate myself. When you're young, you don't think think like that. You think you have an invincible mindset. One, like you're going to live forever. Two, that you think you can buy time. And you're not really thinking about those things. So as as we progress and grow in the Lord, the more we learn, the more we know. Sometimes the more intense our trials are going to become. But, but, God uses previous victories that he's given us to to like spring us forward to trust in him more man if God did it before guess what he he's faithful he'll continue to do it he'll continue to do it so Israel they're facing this formidable enemy they're facing these numerous th- th- these numerous horses and chariots what does God do when we're facing our enemies the enemies of the world the flesh and the devil the enemies of the the world out there that's hostile to God that's hostile to Christianity that's hostile to biblical principles when that world is hostile when they're blaspheming the name of Christ and it grieves us. What does God do? He's not walking around pacing back and forth like, man, I need, to, I need to do something. He's not doing that. He's not trying to figure things out. Look at verse 6. Yep. The Lord said to Joshua what? Be not afraid. Do not be afraid because of who? Them. For tomorrow... About this time I will deliver all of the slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. With all those mighty horses and chariots, they're going to be hamstrung the horses and they're going to burn the chariots. So God tells him, do not be afraid. Again, this goes back to the principle of placing confidence in basically military hardware. God told Israel this back in look at turn to Deuteronomy 17 and 16 right quick. Turn to Deuteronomy 17 and 16. Deuteronomy 17 and 16. Only he must acquire many horses. Hold on. Okay. This is this is concerning the kings. He's talking about uh, the future kings of uh, Israel. He says only he must not acquire many horses for himself. Or call the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall not. Return that way again, so he was telling them, Don't acquire many horses. Now, I mean, when we were studying this chapter, we looked at King Solomon, who did the exact opposite of what God had said, But not acquire many horses. So that's what that's what God told them not to do, why? Because that's what the enemies did. The enemies trusted in horses. Think about horses in their day, like our tanks and. And and armor and rifles, you know, we got all these things to fight with now, you know, our ships, you know, our navy ships, our our our, our planes and 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 all that. That's like us trusting in our military might as a as a nation. Now, of course, nation is different from like Christian people, but this was God's covenant people. He told them, don't trust in those things like the pagans do. The pagans trusted in their might, their military strength. That was their god. They amassed these big armies. To intimidate their enemies. They put their full trust in those things. But God said to Israel. Don't be afraid because of them. This attack was new. And it was more severe than the other ones that they faced. But Joshua received a fresh promise. Of God's uh, provision. And the Lord was faithful to bring it. Now, why did the Lord tell Joshua not to be afraid? This meant that fear was an issue for Joshua and the people of Israel. It means that God would tell you not to fear if, if you didn't fear. So Obviously, you know, he's God. He's sovereign. He knows. He knew that Joshua is not that Joshua didn't have fear because he did. He's human. He's not perfect. So Joshua feared this big army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these horses, all these chariots, of course, fear came over Joshua and over Israel. But what did God say? Do not fear, do not be afraid. Remember, do not be afraid, do not fear is the most common commandment in the Bible. It's the most common one. That's one of the mega themes of scripture. Do not fear, do not be afraid, don't fear man. Don't fear man don't do not fear do not be afraid because of them. God has a reason for everything he does but one reason is not to make us fearful or afraid and God wouldn't assure them <laughs> to not be afraid unless there was a reason for the encouragement so they needed that encouragement. So verses 7 through nine Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them and the Lord so the Lord said man he was going to give them the victory so now they had this confidence to go to battle because again the Lord said tomorrow about this time I will deliver all the slain before Israel and the thing is Joshua and Israel trusted what God said. It's like Abraham. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When God says trust him, trust him. Lord help us. Lord help me. When God says trust him, trust him. When he says, trust him, trust him and do what? Do it. Do it. So what did Joshua do? They, they went out to battle. They went out to battle. They went out to battle. Against them. They went to battle. So it says Joshua and all the people of war went with him and came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, And they attacked them and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon to the brook Mitzvah and to the valley of Mizpah, eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. And he hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Just like the Lord told him to do. So what do we see here? They went to war with these people. They came upon them suddenly. And it says, and the Lord delivered them. The Lord delivered them. into the hand of Israel and chased them to the valley and they attacked them until they left none of them remaining so Joshua led Israel to fight with boldness and with and with strategy he surprised them with the unexpected ambush so Joshua did to them as what the Lord told them he obeyed God He fought with obedience. Doing exactly what the Lord told him to do so. He even destroyed their weapons. Again, the the chariots and the horses. He could have taken them for his own army, but guess what? He didn't do that. He destroyed them because God told him so. This is the thing. If we're going to trust God, if we're going to lean on God's promises. We have to obey him. God says, Do it, do it. God will never tell us anything contrary to His word. He will never tell us anything contrary to His word. He's faithful. He will not do that at all. Tell us anything contrary to His word. So Joshua did exactly what he said he didn't spare any of them until none of them left remaining destroyed the army utterly so many times we can use horses and chariots against our spiritual enemies but we can't trust in horses and chariots we have to trust in the Lord the Lord goes to battle for us Joshua fought with passion and commitment. He did not let up until he accomplished as much as he could. It says they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. None of them remained. Isn't God good? He, He fully and faithfully obeyed. Willing and faithfully obeyed. That's what he did. So. He continues. Verses 10 through 15. Joshua turned back at that time. And took Hazor. And struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people. Who were in it with the edge of the sword utterly destroying them there was none left breathing again utterly destroyed because that's what God told them to do then he burned the hazel with fire so all the cities of these kings and all the kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword he utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded but as for the cities that stood on their mounds. Israel burned none of them except Hazel only which Joshua burned and all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and they left none breathing as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant so Moses commanded Joshua and Joshua and so Joshua did He left nothing undone. Man, look at this. I like that. In verse 15, he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Nothing undone. So this is good. Joshua struck down all of them. All of them. Utterly destroying. They were explicitly said to have been burned, and guess what? Israel did that. Yes, they did. So they had to utterly destroy them just as Moses had commanded. So he was obeying uh the word of Moses that was that was passed down. And we can find that let me see that's that's verse uh twelve. Let me get some new glasses. Deuteronomy the twentieth chapter verses sixteen and seventeen. We read this last week, but, you know, it bears uh, reminding again of what they were to do. Verse 16, 17 of Deuteronomy 20. The Lord says, But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you, what inheritance, He's talking about the promised land, you shall save. Alive. Nothing that what? Breathes. And that's what it says here in Joshua. But you shall devote. I'm sorry. Devote them. To what? The ESV says complete destruction. Utterly destroy them. The Hittites. And the Amorites. And the Canaanites. And the Perizzites. And the Hivites. And the Jebusites. As the Lord your God has what? Commanded. And Why? Verse 18, again, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. So why did God want them to it? So that Israel will have nothing to do with their pagan practices. They want to be tempted to do it. And this is what Christ does for us. Christ defeats our enemies so that we will not partake of the practices of our enemies. He defeats them for us. So that we won't partake of of their practices. That's why we go to the Lord in time of trouble. Why do our spiritual enemies, why do our enemies hate us? Why Why do the enemies of the church hate the church? Why? Because they want the church to be like them. They want the church to be pagan and they get upset when you don't want to live like them they get upset when you don't want to partake in the sins that they partake in they don't like that but Christ has defeated them so we don't have to fear utterly destroy them and that's what they did here they left none breathing the destruction was supposed to be complete in human terms. And what this shows us. When I was reading as I was thinking about this. What this shows us is the completeness of God's judgment. When God judges it's going to be complete judgment. Think about what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. He rained down fire and brimstone. And utter, he, he wiped Sodom and Gomorrah off the map. Because what? That was his utter destruction of that city why because all the sin that was going on in that area in those two cities same thing with the flood when God judged the earth with water with flood the flood destroyed everything except for everyone only those who were in the boat were saved and that that shows us that you know the ark is a picture of 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 Christ being in you know people say the ark of safety The ark represented salvation from the judgment of God which was the flood those who were in the ark were saved it was eight of them it was was Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives they were the ones who were saved in the flood and that's what the ark represented salvation from judgment when God judges he does it completely and totally and it will be utter judgment it won't be A thing said about it. It won't be a memory of anything. God's judgment is complete. And we see Israel's obedience. In that part where they struck every man. Verse 14 with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and left none breathing. This was God's judgment on those Canaanites on those pagans. It won't be none of them left to do what? Tempt Israel into their pagan practices. None left. That's the completeness of God's judgment. And you know, that's how we should deal with our temptations to idolatry is to totally get rid of them. Anything that leads us to sin. Jesus said, if your right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off. If your right eye caused you to stumble, pluck it out. That's how we deal with sin. That's how we should deal with it. Deal with it in a complete way. So now as we get down close to the end of this chapter, Israel is going to find peace and rest. Verse 16 says, Then Joshua took all this land. So remember, they came into conquest. God had given this land to them already. So Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all land of Goshen, the lowland and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands from Mount Halak to the ascent of Seir, even as far as Baal or Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon, he captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all these kings. There's not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. Remember, because they came to Israel uh, to, you know, basically become part of them. All the others they took in battle. For it was the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, the judgment of the Canaanites was accomplished when God did what? He hardened their hearts against Israel. Now, God did the same thing with uh, Pharaoh. Each plague that came upon Egypt, Pharaoh relented. He said, okay, but God hardened his heart every time. That hardening was a judgment against him. When God hardens a person's heart, it is a judgment against them for doing what? Rejecting him. The Canaanites were uh, pagans. They hated God. They tried to kill God's people. So what did God do? He hardened their hearts. The hardening of men's hearts is when, uh, again, to harden someone's heart is when God gives man up to the sin that is in his heart. Paul talks about this in Romans Romans 1 he does the same thing he says here Romans 1 verse 24 he says therefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their own bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever amen so So what does God do with sinners who reject him constantly? He gives them over. That's what the Canaanites did. They rejected God. They rejected his people. They want to kill his people. So what did God do? He hardened their hearts because they rejected him. What does God do to the sinner? He hardens their hearts. And Paul continues in Romans 1 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, Even their women exchange a natural use for what is against nature. Lesbianism, that's what Paul is talking about there, homosexuality among women. Verse twenty-seven. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the what woman burn in their lust for one another. Men with men, homosexuality, sodomy committing what is what shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due and even as they did not retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a debased or a depraved or some translate say reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting or which are not convenient that's what God does when he gives men over they begin to do things that are not convenient things that are not fitting Things that humans are not supposed to do. Things that humans were not designed to do with their bodies. Lesbianism and homosexuality are people who are given over to those desires by God. But that is not God's design because Paul says here that they lead the natural use of their bodies. But since they want to do that, then what does God do? Gives them over to it. He gives them over to their sin. Again, look at verse 24 of Romans 1. God gave them up to the uncleanness and the lust of their hearts. It was their hearts that wanted to do that. So what did God do? Gave them over to it. He gave them over to it. That's what he did. Gave them over to those desires. So. We're looking at that and they're looking at this passage that we're looking at today in Joshua. God hardened the hearts of the pagans. Why? Because they wanted to be pagans. They want to reject God. They did all types of paganism. All types of idolatry. Burning their children on altars and sacrificing their children. All types of. Sexual immorality was taking place all types of idol worship So what did God do he hardened their hearts as a judgment against them? So that's what we see taking place here He hardened their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle that he might be able to destroy them So they did they obeyed as it says here again as the Lord had commanded Moses we see that in verse 20 Now we must understand, we don't need to think that God poured out some special judgment upon the Canaanites. God dealt with their hearts the same way He deals with all men's hearts. But God's grace does one of two things it either hardens the heart or it softens it. Remember, I always quote Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said famously, The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same gospel that melts men in their sins hardens others in their hearts. Hardens others, rather, in their sins. The gospel is either going to soften a person's heart to repentance or it's going to harden their hearts into sin. His grace is the same way. And that's the way he dealt with these Canaanites. God showed much grace to these Canaanites. They could have been destroyed way before now. Only one group of them w- wanted to be with Israel. And now was the Gibeonites. And uh, they let them in. And now the uh, Anakim are defeated. These are the, the giants of the land then we're going to last the last verse verse 23 so it says and at that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains from Hebron from Debir from Anab from all the mountains of Judah and from all the mountains of Israel Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel they remained only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod. Now, y'all may not remember this, but back in Numbers, the 13th chapter, the 12 spies were sent over to spy out the land, and 10 came back with a bad report. This is uh, Numbers 13:27 through 33. This is when they came back. It says, "Then they told him." Th- th- this was them telling Moses, "We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit." Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw that the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites, the Amalekites rather, dwelled in the land in the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we Are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and the people whom we saw are men of great stature. They were talking about the Anakim. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. So this happened back um, 40 years before now. Before where we're reading now. But what happens when Israel gets to the land? They do what? They conquer. They slay the Anakites, the, the giants. This was 40 years ago. And 40 years later, they fall. Why? Because they were no match for the army of the Lord. Remember, this is why Joshua and Caleb made it into the promised land. This is why God had pronounced judgment upon the older generation, because they did not believe. And the younger generation were Joshua and Caleb. They went into the promised land because they believed that they could conquer this land why because god had promised it to them so what happens when they get over there they do it they slay Anak. Anakim. god had trained them in battle he worked with them through the moments of conquest to be able to get ready for these people And you know something. When Israel refused to enter Canaan. Out of fear of the the Anakim. They didn't realize that God would. (laughs) Guide events. That they would face this challenge. They had no idea. That they were going to face them. But guess what. They end up facing them. But guess what. Also God managed that battle. And God helped them to do what. Defeat Anakim. God manages our battles for us. We let the Lord fight our battles. The Lord knows. God is our great master. He's our great guy. He knows how to fight our battles. And the Anakin were the last group of people they faced. This reminds me of. They're conquering the land. They fought all these other cities. And now they got these giants to face. And they finally defeat. The Anakim, these giants. What does this show? Jesus. Now, the Anakim in this sense, was Israel's greatest enemy. Jesus defeated our greatest enemy. I'm not going to ask you what our greatest enemy is. The greatest enemy that we faced was death. Our greatest enemy was death, is not is death. When Christ rose triumphantly from the dead, as Paul says in Romans First uh, Corinthians 15, he said, "The last enemy that shall be defeated is death. And when Jesus rose from the dead he defeated death, O oh, grave, O oh, oh, death, where's your victory? O oh, grave, where is your sting? Jesus took away the sting of death, which was our greatest enemy. Israel's greatest enemy at this time was the Anakim because they were so afraid of them before when those spies went in. But guess what? He took it away. Christ took it away from us. It says here, First Corinthians 15 and 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's First Corinthians 15:54, 55 says, O death, where's your victory? O grave, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The victory is the victory over death. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ defeated the last enemy that we had. He defeated the last enemy. Israel defeated this last enemy. And then they were able to have rest. And we see that in the uh, last verse of this chapter verse 23 of Joshua 11 so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes then the land rested from war so they had all this war to take place against the north and against the south Now, more fighting was going to remain to be done. But for right now, the land rested from war. In chapters 13 through 19, we'll see the division of the land. But for right now, the land rested from war. So... That's a great thing to thank the Lord for. So Joshua took the whole land. The power of the Canaanites was subdued, it was crushed, they were utterly destroyed. So they had this victory, they had this peace in the land. As believers, Jesus already defeated our enemy. He's already conquered the land. He's the Lord of all. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. Jesus has defeated our enemies. What did Jesus his disciples? My peace I leave with you. Not the peace that the world gives. we trust in the Lord just as Israel did just as Joshua did he he trusted in the Lord to help defeat their enemies as numerous as they were and as big as those Anakim were guess what God gave them victory and he gives us certain victory also all we have to do is walk in that victory that God has given us God's promises with us he promises never to Leave us nor forsake us. Lord, help us to trust in you. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us to trust in your words. Lord, we thank you for showing us in your word how you defeat all of our enemies, the world of flesh and the devil, our physical enemies in this world, those who are enemies of the cross, enemies of your church, enemies of your people. Lord help us where we're weak in our faith Lord increase our faith help us to trust in you to not trust in horses and chariots but to trust in the name of the Lord our God in every area of life in every, every life in, in, in everything that we face Lord help us to trust in you because you are faithful to do it You're faithful, Lord, to help us conquer. Lord, be with us. Until we meet on the Lord's Day, may your grace be with us. The grace of the Lord be with you all. In Christ's name, amen.